2 Corinthians in chapter 4. As, uh, let me prime the pump a little bit on this tonight <clears throat> in this continuing series, Overcoming Depression. Isaiah asked me downstairs, we were looking for the handouts, and he said, am I still doing the overcoming messages? Somebody's listening. <laughs> and I, I said, yes. I said, there's a lot to overcome. <laughs> well, we'll continue that tonight. But I'd like to just go through the little blurb in the bulletin. You're down. You've lost your appetite. You look at the future. There's nothing there. You have to push yourself to work and take care of responsibilities, but you don't enjoy any of it. You go to the doctor, he writes you a prescription. Now you have another problem. The side effects from the medication, you're feeling a little bit better, but there is still that gnawing unhappiness and dejection. What do you do? Let's talk about it. That's why what we're going to do this evening. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, listen to Paul. Listen to Paul. This man, oh, there's nothing like 2 Corinthians. Some have called it 2 Job. That this book, uh, Paul just puts his thoughts, his heart out there for you to read. And I'm going to spot read it. Uh, therefore, verse 1, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. And then slide down the paragraph, my apologies to the Apostle Paul. I hope that uh, um, I know I'm leaving out some very critical things that follow on that statement. But come down to verse 8. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I'll I'll let it uh, stay at that, and let's talk about it. How does depression feel? I know I've got to do some definitions uh, because I'm jumping right into the deep end of the pool when I use the word depression. But allow me a little time, and I, I hope to sort some terms out for you. For example, depression, sadness, bipolar, these, uh, this vocabulary. Robert Burton in 1621, in a, The Anatomy of Melancholy, this is the old way of describing depression, He said, and I quote, They are in great pain and horror of mind, distraction of soul, restlessness, full of continual fears, cares, torment, anxieties. They can neither drink, eat, nor sleep. Ed Welch, in his book, to which I'll refer and say some things later, Depression, a stubborn darkness, says, and I quote, Depression is a form of suffering that can't be reduced to one universal cause. Very important statement there. 
Robert Lowell, a poet, said, I myself am hell. Tells us where he may have been in this matter, in this experience. William Styron, the author of Sophie's Choice, said, quote, speaking of depression, how it feels, hell's black depths. Well, then a question comes up at this point. How are we to approach the darkness of depression? There are some dangers. What has been called the ditch of how-tos. Uh-oh, my sermon. This, you could put how-to overcome depression. I don't want to oversimplify, but let's go. Giving the impression that depression is a thing that can be remedied by following certain steps. And I'm going to conclude with some steps this evening. Uh, but uh, I, I hope to widen the breadth of this subject enough so that you will appreciate those in the bigger context. Another danger of with approaching the subject of the darkness of depression is the ditch of making a friendship out of it, yielding to its hopelessness, merely medicating its symptoms, seeing it only as feelings that need to be eliminated. Time will not allow, but I could walk us through one of David's dark moments as encapsulated in Psalm 32, where in that particular psalm, his depression was due to sin in his life. And he describes his condition. Some think that it's connected with Psalm 51, namely then that David would be describing the consequences of adultery, but we don't, we can't make an absolute uh, a connection between Psalm 32 and 51. But we do see this in, among, in all the lament psalms, these are the blues, there are about 70 of them, that what's happening is that he, David, he prays in the midst of his depression. He prays for mercy. He's looking to God as his only hope. That's huge. He wants relief. He realizes the reason for his condition. A study that could be a very profitable one, we won't, all we can do is fly by it quickly, and that is the Bible characters who struggled with depression. Jeremiah, let's read Lamentations and read some of Jeremiah's soul-bearing cries in Jeremiah. Oh, what a dear prophet he struggled. Nehemiah, we examined that in a study last September, sadness and joy in the journey home. Remember that study? And we looked at that experience in Nehemiah, his sadness and how God used that in a very important way. Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, Moses, Numbers 11, 15, Elijah, 1 Kings 19 and 4, and Jesus himself, Matthew 
in 26 and 37. His sorrowful experience in the shadow of the cross. Let's do it this way then. Let's consider, and I I know you may look at the outlines, that's a bit daunting, but I I do want to keep on moving quickly through it and create along the way, I hope, some focused um, perception and understanding of this issue. And I don't, I'm not intending to minimize it in any way as in doing it in this fashion, as I've said in the other overcoming messages, I'm, I'm just counting on the brevity of a one-time study on these issues like fear and anger and so forth as at least giving us what? Hope and traction that we, that the Lord has direction for us, a direction in which we should think and relate to him and, and overcome. So let's proceed. The first of these statements, and I think there are 13 of them in all, is this. And by the way, I haven't looked over my shoulder at the slide, so I am now. So I know what's there. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I'm getting something from this. That's why I'm, I'll tell you later. It makes me sigh. Just relax. This was a providential slide, I will tell you that, because one of my concluding statements will fit this. All right, let's go. Depression is a condition of mind and body characterized by dejection and gloominess. Here is how Marshall and Mary Asher describe it in their book, The Christian's Guide to Psychological Terms. I have here. Good, good reference book, book. They say, depression is a persistent mood that is characterized by intense feelings of inadequacy, sadness, hopelessness, pessimism, irritability, apprehension, and a decreased interest in or ability to enjoy normal activity. This mood must last at least two weeks, to be diagnosed as clinical depression. Now, with that last statement, we do enter a a bit of a problem with the word depression because we use it to kind of as a catch-all term for everything from it's Monday morning, oh, I got a lot on me today, and it's not like it's raining, it's just the difficult traffic is, is waiting on you, and you're just, you're not really, it's not like driving home from work on a bluebird day in May. So we use, we could use, some people would do, use depression to describe those low moments emotionally, which pass, and yet the term depression used to describe people who get almost catatonic fetal position in a dark room, curtains drawn, not eating, not functioning, clinical depression. So you got all this that needs we need to distinguish. Well, here's how Archibald Hart, in Focus on the Family, March 1993, wrote this. He said, 
depression, it's a feeling of gloom or sadness that is usually accompanied by a slowing down of the body. It's not just in the mind, but it's experienced throughout the whole body. It's in the stomach as much as in the head. Now, what it's not here, we're working to get some definition, what it's not. It's not grief. It's not weariness. It's not emotional flatness or the presence of sorrows. What is it? I'll give you the quote and tell you who said it. My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child. And yet I knew not what I wept for. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Depressed mood, diminished pleasure, apathy, you feel nothing, weight loss or weight gain, insomnia, hypersomnia, physical restlessness or lethargy, diminished ability to think or concentrate, suicidal ideation, as David Pallison says, a complex response to all that goes into being human, being down and out and often incorporating anger and sad, sad face and suicidal thoughts, dejection, sullen, angry, remorse. Now, there is a question in this first point. It's a little longer than some of the others, but necessarily so because we're trying to get a handle on this. So if you, for example, if you're saying, well, I fight depression a lot, maybe you do. But maybe it's not disordered sadness, which is the way in which Dr. Hodges describes depression as disordered sadness, because there is a normal sadness that we all experience. But anyway, is depression a sin? Well, not like adultery or anger or stealing or lying, grumbling or complaining. Not like unbelief, godless is in a viewing a godless universe. The Bible never says you should not feel the sting of losses or that you should not grieve or be lonely. Pallison speaks here and says, the Bible does not say you shall not feel darkness. This came from a tape. Uh, I, tapes I picked up some time ago at one of the conferences. David Pallison said, the depression itself is not sin. Depression. Living in a room the size of one skull, the way he describes it. Then there's clinical depression. You are really, really down. Within this thing called depression, you might find anger, immorality, anxiety, worry. It may not just be a mood. It can be a complaint against the universe. It can be a complaint against God. Some call it the if-onlys. The most unhappy of the unhappy emotions. Are there times we ought to be depressed? Light and breezy approach to life can be an indication one's not in touch with things as they really are. Sunny disposition all the time. Maybe you're living in la-la land. You're just not even paying attention to what's really going on. Now, I'm not trying to get a sign-up here for 
being depressed, the support group. All right, let's let those statements stand and let's go to the next one. Depression has its own set of dynamics. And they would be disappointment, discouragement, and often is in, in this connection a, a spiral effect in these in this movement. Discouragement, disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, depression, demoralization, and death. Now it may be depression may be the result of mishandling a hard situation. The death of a loved one, diagnosis of terminal illness. Depression may come as one's response to an interpretation of an event. It's something happens and you begin to evaluate it, assess it, interpret it, and then that can become the occasion for sin and for the consequences thereof. It may be the result of unbiblical standards or a value system that is seriously flawed. You have the world's value system. The idea of the old ladder up against the wall. Climb up the ladder, you think that's where... Climb up the ladder of brains, beauty, talent, money, success, and then you're at the top of the ladder, and then what? You're just there against the wall. That's it. A cul-de-sac, if you will. What happens when a person accepts these standards? Namely, finding, trying to find one's identity in, in one of these areas, brains, beauty, talent, money, success. So the search for happiness in the climb up the ladder of success leads to what? Disappointment. All right, let's go to the third state. Depression is a form of suffering. Let's consider some of the causes, very briefly, of suffering. We, we might deserve it. We might not deserve it. But it hurts, nonetheless. Depression can be a response to suffering, a reaction to loss, as in the aging process. Yeah, some older people um, can be given to a kind of... A, well, how should I say this? It could become disordered sadness as one begins to consider what one is losing as they're aging. And depending then on how much value, importance you place upon that, as you begin to lose the... Just read, was it Ecclesiastes 12? <laughs> that really... That'll, that'll summarize the condition. The loss of hearing, the loss of sight, um, you physically, you don't have the stamina and a lot of things go with that. It can be a response to hard things that are happening in life. Warfare. It is warfare. All suffering is the opportunity for spiritual warfare. You've got to fight on your hands with this. Depression. 
It's been described as like having a target on your chest. Satan hates us. He's a liar. And people who are depressed believe lies. And feelings can be a part of this body of lies. If you're inclined to invest in um, authority, uh, what I would say revelatory equivalent authority, thinking that your feelings are they're God ordained, well, how can I put it? that your feelings must be read as some kind of authority on the way things really are. But do I believe that God delights in forgiveness? Do I really believe that? Do you believe you're loved? Do you believe that God makes you fruitful? If you're wavering on these questions, this is where you find spiritual warfare. See, the contrary to the idea that some may think that it, as depression comes, it's an inexplicable condition. Now, I do want to go to this because there is that in, in disordered sadness, in depression, there is a, a percentage of those who go into depression where it, is, it comes for inexplicable reasons. There are some people to whom that happens. We'll talk about that a little later. But there is purpose in suffering, as we think of depression as suffering. And we need a purpose statement. Depression will show you the facades. It forces us to seek the meaning of life. So depression as suffering can be useful. It can be valuable when we look at it through the lens of biblical truth. So we want to make sure that God doesn't seem ordinary to us. This is the value of suffering. This is why the Lord, if I may pick up on what we were studying in our Sunday school class today with Jesus in a storm, is the Lord purposely took his disciples into the circumstances of a terrible, seeming to them as a life-threatening storm. And yet Jesus was in the boat with them. So we have to fight the spiritual battle of depression so you can love somebody else. Oh, depression can become such a self-focused, self-feeding kind of experience. And also associated with suffering, with depression as suffering, is that we must see the importance of spiritual endurance. That we must, when, when we are going through those times that are very dark indeed, and it's not just a, a minor, that, that, that is the sadness, is not something that just passes with the hour or the day, but it, it goes on for days. That stay with it. Stay, fight through it, what I'm trying to say. And we have to force feed ourselves. It's the value of lowness, downness. Force feeding ourselves. Like something like from Psalm 62, 12. You, O oh God, are strong and, O oh Lord, are loving. 
So there is this, this endurance factor of fighting through it, staying with it. All right, let's consider the fourth proposition regarding depression. Depression serves as a warning light to indicate the need for self-examination. What's going on in my life? Is God bringing this trial into my life as correction? Do I need to be corrected in some way? Maybe something needs to come to the surface. So the shaking up, as it were. Maybe it's for prevention, this dark time. That is, God wants to draw me closer to him to prepare me for something very difficult waiting on me. Maybe it's divine discipline, chastening. Not all suffering is that, but it may be. That is, maybe there is something that I've not attended to. Some sin, some relationship that is not right. It's a sin against someone else, and I bear anger or a grudge, or maybe it's my greed, an avarice approach to things. I'm up to my ears in the material things of this world, and the list goes on. So depression, therefore, is a warning light to indicate the need for self-examination. Five, the cause of depression may be both long-term and immediate. One's vulnerability to depression may be increased by sinful habits. For example, let's say that you are given, you are inclined to a lack of discipline, which you could say, well, we all are. We're not, nobody is just completely bets a thousand on this one but still maybe the lack of self-discipline chronic lack of self-discipline we don't do things that we should be doing and so we're asking for some darkness take a teenager high school student it can be a, they don't have to be a teenager. It can be any time in that period of education from one to twelve, ages uh, grades one to twelve. That's the <clears throat> here's the student having difficulties. You know, hormones are going all over the place. Um, um, just the difficulties that go with growing up and learning you know, self awareness, and. Then you get in, you get into classroom, and then there's all the peer pressure and competition, and you have a habit of not doing your homework. You watch television, you play video games, you mess around, you don't do homework, and so you develop a habit of not taking care of your responsibilities. Do you think that that may come to a crisis moment of depression? Sure. Someone has said it this way, depression is the result of the spiral of complicating factors. It's not the direct result of the initial problem. Now, through these, I hope that I'm presenting to you enough, can I say, diagnostic truths, truth statements that we can work on ourselves, know how to navigate through this problem. Sixthly, 
Failure to deal with the causes of depression will only lead to more severe periods of depression. They will become more intense and come more often. Mild to moderate to severe. That one can develop this then a chronic pattern of living in the darkness. And, well, we'll, we'll consider this a little bit more later. Seven, a person may or may not be responsible for the initial problems which led to their depression. We'll divide these into two categories, the volitional problems and involuntary problems. Let's take the volitional problems, things that lead to depression, anger, self-pity, the latter to nowhere, High-handed sins and subtle sins. The, the lack of a grasp on the goal of the Christian life. Just being aimless, without direction. Overt acts of sin. Like cheating, stealing. What about those, what about that income tax that you cheated on four or five years ago? You owe the government money, huh? You took some money, you had a job situation where you could, there was a lot of cash transaction, and you didn't declare it on your income tax. And then down the way, you want to show up at the doctor's office and you want some medication for depression. Hmm. Let's think about this a bit. Could there be a relationship? What about involuntary problems, though? Such things as illness, Infection of some type. Aging. As children grow up and leave home, old friends die, need to move. Bodily changes, hardening of the arteries, reduction of circulation to the brain. Hey, boy, that looks, some of those things are in my age group. I can vouch for that. And it, it, it isn't, it, this is where sadness now, see, I'm distinguishing between normal sadness. Sure, you're going to be sad when your friends begin to die off. I've lived that long. Some of you have. And you find things happen with that. When you're younger, you don't, you, you can't fully grasp that. But when your friends die off in your latter years, you had conversations that were going on. You had things that you could relate to, and then this is not a this is not a slap at younger people, but they just there's just the generational gap, and that you can't appreciate the same thing. Like, hey, you remember Gildersleeve? Oh, that was a good program. The young person looks at you and just their eyes glaze over. Now that's a very minor thing. And I'm saying you fall into depression because nobody's around to talk to you about old radio programs. But I'm just using that as a symbol to the recognition of a loss of something, a circle of connection, a circle of, uh, of uh, shared experiences and such. Here, I'm in voluntary problems, things that come upon me and you. Postpartum, following childbirth. May weep a lot, get jumpy. Glandular disorders, low thyroid function, apathetic, 
or overactive, ovarian hormonal balance irregularity, post-operative conditions, menopause, fatigue, financial loss, weather changes, seasons, tendencies of temperament. This is a factor we have to place here with the subject of depression. No no two people in here have the identical temperament. We're all unique. God has shaped us and formed us in the womb, Psalm 139. Now, take heart in that. Don't let that be the occasion for depression, but that God has shaped you and formed you in the way he wants you to be. And there's no one else has the exact same set of DNA fingerprints that you do. But you have other issues. Some subcultures are very bleak. This is where the the circles you run in or the neighborhood in which you live. So these are involuntary problems that go into this mix. As you see, depression is is the, the sadness, disordered sadness, depression. It's quite a complex thing in one way. And part of, well, let's go to the eighth statement. Depression may be intensified and fed by additional sinful behavior. How do you view the problems of life? I will, let me just mention this book uh, again. Uh, I have a note here to take us to something in it, and I I wish to... uh, Recommended again. Last September, we did uh, in the my Sunday school class last year. We went through this book, "Good Mood, Bad Mood," Charles D. Hodges. I highly recommend it, and it's it is so so helpful on these issues of sadness, and then with depression, his section to bipolar, and very helpful, and. How do you view the problems of life? Do you ignore them? I mean, what, what are you like? How do you? you? You married folks, you probably, you've had discussions with, these, with your spouse about such. Do you tend to minimize your problems? Do you, do you tend to blame others? Or are you quick to medicate them? I have members in my larger family circle that, I didn't know it at the time as a kid growing up, but now going back and say, well, medication was pretty important to them. I mean, just about any kind of medication. And now I understand why there was some tension between certain members of the family over this because you've got, the, you've got those that are anti, complete anti-medication and then the medication, but how do you handle problems? All right, enough on that. So... Procrastination, self-pity, resentment, avoiding people, excessive eating, getting behind in assignments. These can intensify the, 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 and, and create this, the greater degree of disordered sadness, depression. Number nine, a person may be depressed and not be aware of the immediate cause. The warning light is working. And it tells you something. I've got a warning light on my 
dashboard now. Now, I know why it's there. But I'll tell you, the first time that it popped up, uh, I was where, well, for a number of reasons. It was, you know, a little modest cold sweat. Uh, I don't want to be looking at that. You know how these computerized systems are now. Is, is this car going to self-destruct in five minutes? <laughs> and the, but the warning light of, of our own sadness. Are you sad tonight? Do you know why you're sad? Have you been sad now as the textbooks would tell you on depression? Has this gone on longer than two weeks? Hmm. Well, what do we say about normal sadness? Can I just visit that for a moment to help us make some distinctions? Normal sadness versus depression. And I'll say again, Dr. Hodges deals with this just so precisely, helpfully. And it's on page 62 in his book, Good Mood, Bad Mood. But normal sadness, just to put you at ease here, if you need to be, you may think, well, I came in here knowing that I'm a little bit sad, but am I, am I really in much deeper weeds than I thought? Well, when we lose something very important to us, there will be sadness. There's nothing wrong with that. A job, a marriage that's it's beginning to get a little, uh, the wheels are beginning to come off. Something's wrong. Our, the intensity and duration of our sadness corresponds to the size and duration of a loss. In other words, if, if, if my response to a loss, which is kind of comparatively speaking minimal, if it's disproportionate, Oh, well, we've got to look more closely. What's going on here? What's it connected to? Normal sadness goes away when the problems go away. That's the way normal sadness works. And normal sadness is to be, you remember our term and study of this, to be sanctified. But there's nothing, the Bible doesn't condemn sadness. So what do we do, though, when we are into a protracted, what turns out to be a period of protracted sadness? We need to lift the hood and look, at, look for the problem. We may need to make a record of the occurrences of this depression. Day of the week, circumstances, thought processes, place, time, what's going on in life. But then there is this other condition to which I've referred already, namely depression which comes upon an individual and the cause is that you can't, Identify the cause. That happens compared to the whole spectrum of sadness, disordered sadness, depression. There are some to whom that that occurs. Now, I will mention this in another uh, uh, another book, The Hidden Smile of God. Uh, Piper took uh, some biographies here of John Bunyan, William Cooper, David Brainerd. This, and I heard him deliver this um, one on Cooper, and William Cooper, the, the uh, songwriter, in his relationship with John Newton. And this is the chapter, the title of which is <laughs> quite significant. Itself, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy. Insanity and spiritual songs in the life of William Cooper. 
and I, I recommend it. It's uh, good thoughts. All right, let's go to number 10. It is possible to deal with the symptoms of depression but not deal with the source. Now, this becomes a very touchy point with many. Let me explain. There is drug treatment that's offered to those with depression. As a matter of fact, this is the go-to response for most, many in the secular, for people who go outside and, well, it can happen in the Christian uh, circle as well. What about medical treatments? I will say this without, I don't have time to purchase it, but in in chapter uh, 21 in uh, Depression and Stubborn Darkness, Welch has a very good chapter on this matter. And he says, most current thinking tends to miss the spiritual essence of depression. In other words, go too quick to medication, too quickly. Well, it says further, remember, the heart is the real battleground during suffering. Would you like to feel lighter? The Holy Spirit, Scripture, wise people. What's God's remedy here? And there are warnings that are necessary with regard to the advice that you're going to receive in the culture. The culture of medical treatments. Some say that they're only a collection that we are, excuse me, we are only a collection of molecules, just a machine. And cultural, the culture assumes that we're only physical beings. And the culture no longer sees any value in hardships. And uh, depression and stubborn darkness and Dr. Hodges uh, really take that on head on and have an excellent discussion on the role of medication. And I found some things here. He, Dr. Hodges really takes this a little further down the line than even than, uh, Welch does. And how much of what is, when, when you do assessments of, 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 of numbers of people who've been medicated for depression, and the application of placebo treatment in that process of medication. It's like 80% respond to the placebos. And Hodges goes into this whole theory of chemical imbalance. Remember, we, I think we discussed it in here last September, where this has been for about 50 years of a go-to, and the Christian world was a little slow to get in on it, but it very quickly came in to a point where it was just a point of truth. And I've, if I've heard it once, I've heard it hundreds of times. Chemical imbalance, chemical imbalance. And there is a good medical discussion and treatment of this by Dr. Hodges, trying to, you know, the idea is that... Uh, Dopamine, serotonin levels, the theory is, it's a theory that in Prozac, was it Pfizer or Prozac, they have these cute commercials, the drug commercials. Oh, can you get through the evening news without being bombarded? No. 
Uh, can you get news on demand where you get out all the commercials? All right. Anyway, my problem. And But the way Pfizer and uh, uh, the way these uh, medical uh, the medical industry, the, the, the pharmaceutical industry works with these. They present it as just as a fact. Like you've got these little balloons that are floating around in your brain, and that's the serotonin, and you need more serotonin or need less of it. Dopamine. Now, I can say something about dopamine. There is something to dopamine, of course. I'm not denying that as a, as a mood enhancer and a lifter. And uh, this is just completely throwaway. But it's my experience. It's purely anecdotal. But I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the most wonderful experiences with dopamine is after a 5K or a 10K race. And I can tell you that for a fact, having run hundreds of them through 40-something years, that uh, there is something to that runner's high. And where you, you, just, you just feel good. <laughs> Now, you can find its equivalent. You don't have to go out and run yourself uh, to death to try to find that thing. Uh, there are other ways we'll get to that. But still, uh, what we're saying is it's possible to deal with the symptoms of depression but not deal with the, um, the real issues, the, what's behind the source. Thank you. And there are other ways in which this thing gets complicated and we don't deal with the source, and that's alcohol. How often do you hear in public, well-publicized or in celebrity deaths and suicides, Robin Williams and such, where you get this mix of alcohol and antidepressants, depression, alcohol? You know, what's going on there? And one of the worst things that you can do to deal with depression is alcohol. And, well, there are other factors we'll have to skip over. Number 11, depression in one person can be a contributing factor to depression in others around them. Depression can be contagious in that it can become a way of life for an individual or a family. Learn behavior. Now, this is not to deny that there may be individuals who are predisposed temperamentally to melancholic response and behavior and interpretation of life. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We're, some people are, more, are naturally more uh, lighthearted, uh, easygoing, others melancholic. I know this one individual through life, she's with the Lord now, but this, the way life was, her template for life was the melancholic. And give her a sad story, and she just loves sad stories. <laughs> um, that was not my mother, sure. <laughs> she was just the opposite. All right. One can wrongly respond to the problem of depression in another, and this only compounds the problem. So if one member of the family, they don't have struggles with depression, you can be can be very, you, the danger of being judgmental and in in quick to judge and harsh and, and a lack of mercy. Number 12, depression may appear in wide emotional swings, not just despair all the time. Now here, I'm going to have to stop. I, I spent some time on this just this afternoon, and 
again, and this is where we intersect with the problem of this so-called bipolar disorder and how that's been, used to be manic depression. And when I, I was in seminary, I went to the state mental hospital for some instruction in Logansport, Indiana, and that was everywhere. It was discussion, manic depression, manic depression. And then uh, up in the late, late 80s, early 90s, I wasn't hearing that anymore. And suddenly I'm hearing bipolar, and it's like an epidemic. They changed the term, which used to be manic depression, and called it bipolar. And what is that? Well, we'd have to have some more time for discussion of that. But I will tell you, Hodges does a wonderful job in dealing with this bipolar one, bipolar two, where you. So I'm going to have to skip to get through here. Thirteen, depression can be overcome by the grace of God. It can be overcome by the grace of God. This is what Edge Welch says in his book, page sixty-nine. As long as you struggle with depression, you will have to be particularly particularly alert to it. Your goal isn't to overcome it. Your goal is to engage it with a growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I would say that as you engage with the person of Jesus Christ, you are experiencing biblical overcoming. Because as I define overcoming biblically, it's not that the problem goes away, but that you are enduring through it in a God-pleasing way. That's what I mean by overcoming. And let's go through some of these. I'm going to have to skip down to the conclusion. Let me see what you have here. Um, Yeah, throw those up there for me so I can, okay. The specific cause of depression must be discovered. It's related to sin. Write those down. I'm not going to discuss those. I've only got about four or five minutes, and I want to uh, come to some very specific things that go under the... uh, uh, some, guide, some guiding principles for overcoming uh, depression. I want to come to that. There it is. I, I want to go through some of these. Very, I think, very, all right, first of all, pursue God. Pursue God. Do you engage yourself with the Bible? Or, or is the Bible something that you only really relate to on Sundays? That's not good. Not the way it's supposed to work. Prayer. Live within the community of God, the church. Healthy relationships. Not living as a loner. Staying on the fringes of relationships and community. Three. Read a sound, clear, biblical treatment of the Christian life as well as helpful books on depression. I'm not saying make depression a hobby. um, But... Somewhere along the line, I'm presenting these books to you, and I've got other books in my library on the subject of depression. Well, this is over 40 years, so it's not like, hey, I'm just, oh, I really love to read and work all the time. But you visit these things, and you get yourself knowledgeable, and you begin to become a better counselor of yourself, among other things. And Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand by Paul Tripp. How People Change by Lane and Tripp. Why Me? A Treatment of Psalm 10 by David Pallison. Depression, A Stubborn Darkness. Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, which is the, of all the things that were published, uh, as his, I say, authorship, many, most of them were his sermons, that one on uh, spiritual depression has been the biggest seller for that 
I, I highly recommend it. And then Good, Good Mood, Bad Mood by Hodges. Be careful about the voices you listen to. Bad counsel wrapped in good intentions. Very dangerous. It's the danger of accepting the world's wisdom without discernment. Christians are quick to do this. And I can understand. I, I want to be somewhat sympathetic with if someone is fighting through dark moods and depression and your church just kind of lives, this is possible in, in churches and Christianity where you're just kind of on a flighty level and the preacher just tells stories and tells be your best self and you really don't really get into the heart and meat of, of biblical teaching. And, and then people are fighting through dark, dark times and trying to deal with issues in their own soul. And church can become, it can become a very frustrating place. It's like you're, you're going to a restaurant and no food served there. So you go out and you start looking. And so that's why I think Christians often can get caught up in these, in the secular treatments and wisdom, which exacerbate the problems. Learn to talk to yourself rather than listen to yourself. Fight it rather than merely listening to it. Live with short accounts with people. Forgive those that need to be forgiven. Is the sun going down on your anger? Are you mad at someone? Are you mad at God? You mad at your father? You mad at your mother? You mad at a friend? Mad at your child or children? You mad at church? You know, some people just go around, they're just ticked. What? Why? <laughs> Who are you mad at? Why? Deal with it. Throw overboard the language of unbelief. Like, I've tried reading my Bible and praying, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> like, the, like Israel in the wilderness. And just, you take everything and complain about it. It's the language of unbelief. And you listen to yourself when you do that. We do. Stand by your depressed friend. Don't give up on them. They need love and truth in generous amounts. And you, you may say, well, listen, I don't like to be around people. It's not like that. It's a downer. Well, oh, our Savior came alongside of every kind of person with mercy. So help us, Lord. Pray and ask God for the grace to fight. You're in a battle. Don't throw in the towel. Fight it. Fight through it. Pause, pause and marvel at some part of God's creation. Maybe a leaf, maybe a flower, a cloud, a tree, a spider web, a bird. <laughs> Welch says in his book, consider it until you can say it's good. And I heard Paulson tell this story that one of his, part of his uh, counseling uh, Strategy when people come in in depression and they just couldn't reach up to touch bottom hardly. He said they would take a walk outside the office out in an area there where there were there were trees and flowers and grass and they he would just walk and talk with them and start looking at things and this is where then I put the waterfall. That's a great picture, wasn't it? Just just, just look at that. I, and what is it? You're savoring God's creation, and it it has it has a I'd say a, a theologically therapeutic effect upon us. Get help. Seek out a friend, wise counselor. Go for a good brisk walk. Get some exercise. 
Things happen when the body is properly maintained. Eat right. Get adequate sleep. Some Christians do live in a lot of unnecessary, not all, I'm not saying it all, but where they, they push their ordered sadness to the point of becoming disordered. You just don't take care of yourself. You eat junk food. You don't sleep right. You stay up too late. Assuming it's not insomnia and there are things that you need to do about that. You don't walk. You don't, you don't move around. You don't get any exercise. You don't drink enough water. You don't eat a balanced diet. That's, that's a recipe for something that's not good. And let God use your, ex, the, your experience of the suffering of depression to comfort those who are struggling with it. Lord, as you've been walked, as you walk through God with this, comfort others with the comfort with which you have been comforted with God. I'm through. I'm over time. Uh, huge, huge subject. And I, did I explain all my books here? Okay. Any questions? Any discussion? All right. Next week, we don't do this. We have the Awana ceremony next, uh, graduation ceremony next Sunday night. And then we'll, then we have church picnic night, which we don't have service that night. And then we have Mother's Day, and everybody's celebrating Mama somewhere, somehow, and no service that night. Then we'll, I think that brings us back around to the 19th, and we'll pick back. We have some more overcoming to do. We'll pick up on that. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we move out of this moment of uh, thought provocation, Lord, and I hope it's more than that, that your spirit will take, sort these things. Lord, things that have been, uh, that have, maybe some things have been said that could be a stumbling block and a hindrance, but Lord, I don't want anyone here tonight who struggles with the darkness of their own, dark nights of their own soul, to be discouraged. So meet them in a real way. Show them, Lord, your presence, your power, your love, your comfort. So help us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.